Find Your Feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. It's quite common for female athletes to struggle with hormonal health and I have certainly fallen into this trap for many years. So I can't begin to tell you how exciting it was to meet Sally Chapman for the first time and to realise that there are ways of finding optimal health in your life that aren't just about patching it. Sally Chapman is a GP in Hobart and she has a really holistic approach to addressing the health and well-being of women and men around Australia and Tasmania. She has been a wonderful asset in my life, teaching me about the intricacies of nutrients and whole, whole food, well-balanced diets. So it was a really, really big joy to sit down with Sally today and to delve very deep into what makes us our healthiest beings, what helps us to perform at the most optimal level, and how can we really just get the most out of ourselves in health and happiness. I know that you're going to really find this conversation fascinating as we delve deep into our health with Sally Chapman. seventies had my period and had trouble all through my you know period of ten so mm. I'm one of those hormone girls <laughs> <laughs> who, you know, now we hear, oh you get your periods when you're younger and younger, younger. Well forty something years ago I was ten and got my period. Mm. And it was just trouble. And we came from a family or the era where you didn't go to doctors, so we didn't know what a doctor was. Mm. And we weren't taken to doctors for anything. It wasn't until I was in, in medicine and there was a professor teaching me biochemistry or something, I can't remember now, but um, and I talked to him about it and I was like 20, 21, and I didn't know about the pill, mm-hmm. didn't, didn't know it was an option for my menorrhagia and my dysmenorrhea, and we were just like, no doctors. And here I was becoming one and didn't have a clue that there were options for treatment except to basically suck it up and suffer it pretty much. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't think we had a Panadol in the house. We had some aspirin. That was it. So I was one of the hormonal people who had trouble. And when I tried to take the pill to fix the trouble, like 13-year-olds are put on the pill these days. Yeah, yeah. When I tried to take the pill, it made me ill. And it's not until I got into my 40s and I started studying holistic health, like whole person health, which is just all that means, I started to learn outside of my medical degree why these things had happened to me. Yeah, right. And why my I'm a mother of two girls, so you know there's my passion for women's medicine that I've mm. got daughters, and watching their ill health. Like I didn't, I was the oven that baked a cake. I baked two cakes, and um, first <laughs> one, <laughs> first one came out. You know, she was a bouncing, bonny little baby gorgeous and everything but she had asthma and the second one was was failing she couldn't even smile why do you think 
Why do you think, first of all, you menstruated at such a young age? Was that an ill health or was that just you? Okay, well, back then, so in the 60s and early 70s, you got everything. You just got your measles, mumps, you got your chicken pox, you had everything. So we had all those things and that was normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no ill health as such, you know. Bless our society today, if anyone got one of those things, it'd be like startlingly awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was all normal. Yeah. So, you know, no ill health as such, just normal child health. But, you know, menstruation came as a real shock. But, I mean, I grew into a young woman between the age of eight, nine and ten. And in grade six, I mean, look at me. I'm a you're little so person. Mean. And you're not that old, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you make it sound like you're sort of... I don't want to put anyone down, but 70s, 80s, 90s. Like, how old are no, we? Talking? How old am I? Yeah, am I allowed to ask? Well, I was born in the 60s. 60. Okay, yes, I can work that out. <laughs> Sally, wow. So I was born in 65. Yeah. So how old am I this year? Equals. Yeah, it's all right. So <laughs> 42 years ago, I was 10. Mm. And I was this size. I'd already grown up. That's why I got my period at 10. But it was really freaky back then. Now it's starting to come back, you know, mm. from 13, 14. If you haven't got your period by 13 or 14, you're really out there. Um, 11, 10 is, is becoming a lot more common. But it's more common these days because of xenoestrogens, but they weren't heard of back then. Xenoestrogens coming from... Everywhere. everywhere. Xenoestrogens are coming from everywhere. So xenoestrogen just means out-of-body estrogen, so the one you make yourself in your ovary or in your skin, or in your fat tissue, or in your bone, uh, brain, wherever you're making um, hormonogenesis, the, gener- the genesis or generation, generating of hormones, wherever you're making them from. I was a quite a skinny little kid, so it was ovarian. But these days there's so many xenoestrogens trapped in fat tissue, and we've got a problem with overweight people. So... More adipose, more fat tissue on the body means more likely to generate more estrogens, yes. therefore bring pu- puberty ages down. Bringing to a puberty age down, age. and also the xenoestrogens that are not just trapped in the body and made by fat tissue, but also coming into the body on a daily basis through the food chain. From soy, from. <clears throat> am I right in saying that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's been overdone, and that's that's had a lot of backlash that it doesn't need. Mm-hmm. So there are there are good soy products, mm-hmm. not so good. Good soy product, great. You know, um, any good product, great. But we're we're uh, what two or three generations now post World War Two, of a lot of sides in our life, a lot of insecticide and herbicide and pesticide and a lot of other sides going on. And they suicide. affect the sex hormone production yep. as well. Yep. Or I think they call it, they get into your body. Those chemicals get into your body and act as an estrogen, but it's called a xenoestrogen. Right. And um, it's just called hormone dis- hormonal disruptors. Mm-hmm. That term gets said a bit more. People might be catching on to it a bit more these days. So hormone disruption is rife, and it's not just female hormones. Of course, it's in uh, young yeah, I was males. Ask that. Yeah. Young males are getting the little man boobs that they shouldn't be having. And the little waistline, little roll tops that they shouldn't be having either. Even some of the ones that are not really looking that overweight are getting dysmorphic features. Huh. How, how do you tell if it's a product from yourself or that it's this, you know, issue? It's a combination. 
It's going to be a combination. Because, so you know, your total body, if we're just talking about women, or men actually, the total body estrogen load is yours and that, that's been gathered within you. So it just goes as a whole load. So yeah, I got interested in hormones because of my own problems. Because, so, if I go back a step then, Sally, you were studying medicine. Yes, I was. Were you already working in medicine when this fascination started developing? Or yeah, I yeah. was way down the track. Yeah, okay. So, I graduated from medicine in 1989, I was 24, and then I had daughters, and it wasn't, and then I had one daughter in particular sick in the hospital three times before she was 15 months old, and wow. we had a lot of stress, um, and I didn't work out, but finally did work out, not in her first eight years of life, but after that I realised I had to get control of the situation, that what I knew to get control of the situation, which was antibiotics, plenty of paediatric visits, hospitals, Ventolin, nebulizers, creams, all that kind of stuff, you know, the normal prescription stuff, um, prescriptions of antibiotics till, you know, it was just like normal in my kitchen, in my fridge, little bottles of antibiotics. Um, and I think my second daughter was only eight. No, she was 11. She was nine when she had shingles, and she's still the youngest person I've ever seen with shingles, which is obviously after chickenpox. She had chickenpox at five months of age. And I was a working mum, and she was with uh, a family. His children were older and they got chicken pox. This is before vaccination. And um, and then she got her periods four weeks after she turned 10. Right. And she had a breast lump by the time she was 13. Wow. So genetics, nutrition, lifestyle, mm. what, you know, you're saying you needed to get on top of the situation. What what changed for you? Oh, okay. So, um, so... If we go back into my life in my middle 30s, or late 30s, I've got two girls. I'm struggling with menorrhagia and dysmenorrhea myself, and I'm advised to have a hysterectomy. Hmm. And I thought, oh, whoops, no, I haven't got time. I really just said, I haven't got time. <laughs> I don't have a hysterectomy, I don't have time for this, it's going to be something else. Mm -hmm. And the pill still, I wasn't even prepared to try the pill because of... Um, Xenoestrogens made me nauseous and sick as did pregnancy. And I was um, trying to stay fit, and it wasn't long after that I became a um, dragon boat paddler. Wow. And ended up as, as the coach and the first Tasmanian state coach when we actually got a little state team together, and I was right into my sport, and I always was into fitness and mm -hmm. fitness training. Anyway, and so I got to my late 30s and then um, my marriage didn't survive the stress, so that was the girls and myself and I just had to start learning how to get things better because they couldn't get worse. Mm. It wasn't optional for my life as a person mm -hmm. or uh, uh, my health as a person, let alone being a doctor and trying to, to help other people. It couldn't, it couldn't go downhill. So I started attending natural health lectures and I've never looked back. So I'm in my 15th year. Right. Is this hormonal health approach seen much in traditional medicine? Like if you go to your GP and ask, like, is it ever brought up? Or Because I know personally I've had a lot of testing done over my life and it's 
I didn't even know that you could test for it. Is is it no, coming? Yeah, no, it's not. So in in our um, careers in mainstream medicine, and I've taught medical students right up until twenty fifteen. I was still teaching mm. medical students at um, different uh, centres that I've been working at. It is not taught, and there's just no room for anything in a medical degree other than what you really need to know to to treat sickness. But if you want to create wellness, that's not in a medical degree. So that's a completely different way of thinking, way of learning, and you learn it as a secondary education option. So I do what we call postgraduate study, undergraduate to get to be a doctor, postgraduate study after my FRACGP many years later, you know, uh, I've done that study and it's, and it's continuous, it's, it's a never-ending um, study because information so, doesn't ever end. And without putting you in a box, are you a GP? Is that how you sort of see yourself? Yes, still, I'm a, I'm a, still a member of the yeah. FRAC GP yeah. and that's my qualification and I'm very grateful to have had an opportunity to become an integrated GP. Mm. So the integrated being the integration of the typical medicine as yes. I guess we know it, yeah. the, the GP versus, And I know it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you and know And my it. colleagues yeah. know it and being able to integrate uh, postgraduate knowledge about human biochemistry, mm. human endocrinology, uh, hormone disruptors, hormone imbalances, about the mineral content of our bodies, I mean, the planet that we live on and how it feeds us and fuels us and provides us with good health and energy, or conversely, how we can lose it mm. because of what is happening in our own modern lifestyle, which we're not genetically equipped for the chemicals uh, that we now have in our bodies, just not equipped for them. We don't have enzymes that break down funny things like pesticides and herbicides. We, you know, we never did. We weren't created with them. We didn't evolve with them. We haven't manufactured new enzyme factories inside ourselves. Our genetics don't actually do that. Yeah. So it's a lot to cope with and it's providing a lot of unwellness which is different to illness, mm. right down the generational chain and it's now uh, going into the next generation. So from us, the ovens that bake the new cakes, or you guys are going to grow up to be the ovens that bake new cakes, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the toxicities and generational influences on our wellness come through to the next generation and look at what has happened in 20 years. What are we having an explosion of on the planet? Mm. Obesity. Major obesity, major diabetes. Major diabetes. Major lifestyle diseases. Go up to the head, yeah. what's happening? Depression. Depression, anxiety. anxiety, and go down to the little people. What have we got down there? ADHD. Uh, attention deficits. Yeah, well, they've all got labels, but really, what's mm. it called? I can't concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Disordered brain chemistry. Yeah. yeah. You know, disordered brain chemistry. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But it didn't exist when your grandparents were getting born. Mm. Or my parents were being born. And it didn't exist when I was born in the 60s. Yeah. Virtually, it may have been one or two, but it just wasn't around. And it's generational toxicity. So I've been fortunate enough, Sally, to work with you a little bit. Mm. Um, especially around hormonal imbalance. And... 
for me, it's been life-changing. I get it. I completely get it. And I've also got the medical background as Mm. well, so I understand what medical training is like. Mm. But I'm guessing there are people out in the medical community that go, this is a bit of woo-woo, a bit of it's too out there for them. Is that what, you know, what has been your experience with that stigma around contemporary integrated or integrated medicine? Okay, so... Am I allowed to ask? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and guess what? I'm allowed to answer it. Yeah, so let's to, go, yeah, for it. go for it. Um, I'll give you an answer that's really broad and you can put it across any discipline in life. Mm-hmm. Okay? It doesn't matter who you are, a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a health coach, you know, a business owner, it doesn't matter. If you don't know something, you don't know it. So mm-hmm. if you don't know how zinc and copper are affected by estrogen and progesterone, you don't know that. Or you don't know how zinc and copper might affect neurotransmitters or B6 is involved in brain chemistry. If you don't know that, you don't know that. End of story. So medicine doesn't teach that. So what you find in doctoring is that a lot of doctors will poo-poo something because they don't know it. And medicine as a discipline is designed for you to know. People come to you and you are meant to know. Well, that's how you, that's how you study it. Yeah, you know, well, it's taught that way it's too. It's rope learning uh, a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, do this and do that. Yeah. So if you are challenged and you actually have no learnings available to you, no teachings, you've learnt nothing about it and someone's presenting you with, with some idea that you don't know about, what happens with ignorance, which simply means you don't know something, is you find a lot of in in a lot of this in medicine it becomes an arrogance. And so you have an ignorant, arrogant approach. Mm. And that's why a lot of people will say to you and say to me and say to other people, Doctor didn't want to know about it. Doctor said it didn't exist. Doctor said that's not right. Doctor said that's rubbish. Mm. Doctor said that's not true. Doctor said there's no evidence. When it would be best if our profession was given an opportunity to say, well, I don't know about that. I haven't been actually taught about that or I didn't learn about that. Mm. But you could try speaking to an integrated doctor or a nutritionist or go and see a dietitian or go and see a naturopath who has learned about those things, but I just can't comment about that because yeah. I don't know. So to be given the right to be able to say... I don't know about that instead of poo-pooing and saying that's rubbish, that's wrong, that doesn't exist. That's unfortunately an ignorant arrogance. Mm. I like the response to that question. (laughs) Going back to the hormonal health, is everyone out of balance? And yes or no, but then how do we know if we are out of balance with our hormones? Yeah, okay. Broad question, broad answer. (laughs) (laughs) We'll narrow down if we need to. Okay, all right. So let's call hormones, and I'm going to list a few because then that broadens my answer because it is a big question. So we'll go boys and girls, men and women, uh, DHEA, testosterone, estradiol, progesterone, uh, cortisol, thyroid hormones, T4, T3, reverse T3, Insulin to control your energy. Everyone says insulin. Well, we're taught. Everybody thinks that insulin is going to control your blood sugar. It just does that, by the way. Mm. Insulin actually is a hormone of energy creation. 
So how does it do it? Pops your sugar, your glucose, into your cells for energy creation. Energy creation. But that's actually what it's doing, allowing that to happen. So it's one of the hormones that may or may not be out of balance. According to insulin resistance, if there is in the body, according to the hormones that other hormones that are made by uh, fat tissue, um, so the endocrine system often excludes fat tissue, which is stored energy. Mm. Fat tissue as being a hormogenetic, hormone, not genetic, hormogenerating, hormone-generating tissue. And so if you look at people and you go, let's say, have we all got a hormone issue? Well, sort of, like who's not stressed? We've got cortisol issues. Who's not stressed? We might have DHEA issues because that's a, a big hormone in the body in, involved in um, sex hormones. It's the precursor to a lot of your It's a precursor, yeah, and it's yeah. a supporter of the adrenals as well. So um, insulin, golly gosh, you know, if we've got a bit of weight hanging around us. So insulin's been creating some, helping create hormone, uh, helping create energy storage. Um, we're going to have some perhaps insulin resistance, so the pancreas is going to be a little bit testy under these circumstances. If we have uh, a little bit of weight gain or no weight gain and we're out there training our little guts out for some great big thing we're about to go into or just because we want to, no, no, no reason, we're just addicted to it and it's feeling, making our heads feel great but we might be burning ourselves into a lactic situation or, or putting ourselves in a zinc deficient situation because everybody thinks sweat is salt but sweat is zinc and magnesium and every other mineral you can think of. We might be running ourselves low. Well, we need zinc, for instance, to make our insulin. We need magnesium to release our insulin. So just by sweating a lot and training a lot, we might be getting ourselves into a mineral deficiency which is going to therefore then create hormone issues. Everything's mm. linked, to, linked to everything even what we do, including what we don't do. Hmm. Broad answer. So how, how do we test? Do we go to a GP and ask for blood work or do we realise that we've got some symptoms that are leading to these minerals deficiencies? Mm. Okay, so will I talk about athletes mostly in this answer? I'd, I'd like to talk about people who are aiming for optimal well-being. Okay. So people who we, we all know we need to exercise, we need to sleep well, we need to fuel ourselves right. So let's, let's focus on that demographic. And if athletes are at the pointy end, yeah, they okay. might not be healthy, yeah, but yeah. at the yes. pointy end, then yeah, okay. let's go with that. All right, so how do we know? Um, we will get a myriad of symptoms. Okay, so if I, I always start from the hair down and we end at the toenails. So... If someone's, I'll give you an example, someone might be, we'll, we'll do a, a young lady who might be 24, she doesn't have any energy, she hasn't been able to exercise for the last three years, and every time she does she gets sick, um, or she aches too much, she's starting to have some hair loss, she's been on the pill for nine years, since she was 15, she's... Um, she's noticed that her skin is covered in acne although she's already on the pill for her acne um, her bowels have been constipated she's sleeping 9 hours a night and yet she still she needs 10 and even when she does get 10 she's tired and she's noticed that um, despite not changing her diet she's gained 7 or 8 kilos in the last 3 years she's going to wonder why and when I see her I'm going to say, right, let's go all the way down. 
talk about the bowel, talk about her brain, talk about the anxiety she didn't mention, talk about the depression she's feeling because of all these changes that she can't get control of. She's had all her bloods done, which are never all done, but I've had all my bloods done. Mm -hmm. And um, when I go through and do a symptom list with her, I can tell what her mineral imbalances are. And then I test and show people. Have you done that much of it now, Sally, though, that you can see someone strutting the door thinking that they're healthy, sit opposite you, and you can look at that person and be like, I'm pretty sure there's this, this, and this going on. Like, is it, like, when you're trained in it, when you know what you're looking for, yeah. does it become clear? Well, honey, for me, so I have to backtrack that question a little bit. Before okay. they walk in my door, any new patient, before they get to me, I've already had a questionnaire mm -hmm. that they have filled out, and I get a very good history from them, and they have given me permission to get results so I've got their blood work and sometimes I go back two and three years so before they get to me I've done a fair bit of investigating what they've already had done mm -hmm. why they're coming to me now and I get a fair idea on history including their drug history you know how many years of the pill how many years on antidepressants um, whether they're taking their mag you know they'll list they're on magnesium they're on methania they're taking you know something else for bowels or, mm. or brain or sleep or something like that I'm kind of already jotting all, all over uh, this paperwork what I think is going on and then 45 minutes of history mm. with them after that first appointment a minimum 45 minutes because I from run late that could be you know 55 <laughs> minutes or more and uh, and that way I, we can tie it all together and then in that time I get to teach them what happened and let's say I've got a 30 year old sitting in front of me I'll do split their life into decades and say well, what were you like from 0 to 10 then 10 to 20 and I always introduce that one that decade is a, is a really interesting mm. one because that's kind of periods or growing into a man a woman um, not necessarily drugs but drug sex rock and roll just like it always was a bit of alcohol a bit of trying this <laughs> a bit of trying that a bit of family stuff happening, trying to get through high school, trying to get through grade 11 and 12 if you can, leaving home or not leaving home and how were you? And that tells a lot about someone. And then the next decade, and I do that for people who are 65 and coming to me for the first time. Because, you know, you, f you follow the next, the first three decades and then you get the next three and there's children mm. and there's job issues and there's menopause and there's andropause for men and there's you know, family deaths and there's all sorts of things that impact on the wellness of that person. So in there you're talking a lot about stress. Mm. So the impact that stress on has on hormones, is it just a case that more stress uses more hormones so you sort of almost burn your resources faster or is it a different process for you? Two things, you, okay. you use them and lose them. Okay, lose them through... Yeah, so let's say if we, if we don't just talk about hormones in this but... I'll talk about exercise is a really interesting one. Exercise is great for us and we should all be doing it. But exercise is a physical stress or. Mm -hmm. So it's a stress that you have to recognise as something that you do to a certain level. So some people can only do it to the walking level and they don't want to be any more physically stressed than that. And other people, you know, elite level of physical stress. But it is a stress or, so it's challenging the body in, at many levels, including hormone levels, adrenal level mental stress level just to be able to keep up the exercise and 
keep slotting that into, you know, your into life your and putting yeah. it up there as number one, two, three, or in your top ten, you know, it's got to be somewhere or it just doesn't happen. But So it's a stress, but it's also a loss because uh, a decent amount of exercise means a decent amount of sweat, and our skin is one of our excretors. Bladder, bowel, breath, three Bs, mm -hmm. and skin. So sweating. And... People don't know how much they lose in their sweat of what they need to have created their exercise in the first place. And I seem to remember when I walked out the door last time, I think one of the last comments you said to me was, You're a, you must be a mineral loser. So people lose different amounts of minerals. Mm. So some athletes will be blessed that they don't lose as much and then others are burners mm. at the other end is that correct and mm. that's just a genetic mm. thing well or no, fitness not so well, much or... a genetic thing it depends whether your glass was half full or half empty when you started oh so mineral loss is uh, everyone is going to use their minerals to create every part of their body so mm -hmm. if you look at basic things for for living We've got to have proteins, we've got to have fats, we've got to have minerals and vitamins, carbohydrates, etc. But minerals and vitamins, did you, did you know that vitamins are activated by minerals? That's that little marriage? I didn't. No. Okay, so, so okay, common, iron, when you buy iron over the counter, what's the, the vitamins? Vitamin C. Vitamin C, there's a marriage. Okay, but so but you're saying the sorry the mineral activates the vitamin or the vitamin activates the mineral. Minerals activate vitamins. So ah, I always thought it was vitamin C helps the absorption of iron. Yeah, that's is it the other way around? No, vitamin no, C right. helps the absorption. Uh -huh. But iron being the mineral, all our minerals get into our body and then they 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 just don't become active and you know run out of what they're doing before they get to the place they're meant to be doing it at. They're activated by a vitamin. Vitamin. I'll give you an example. Uh, magnesium. Yes, comes with vitamin C normally, doesn't it? B6. Oh. Now, B6, oh. as a vitamin, needs zinc and B2. Oh, gosh. To be activated. Yeah. It's a really... And where, wherever zinc goes, B6 follows. Huh. And... There's a little relationship that goes on there. And magnesium wants to be in on the action, so magnesium comes along as well, knocks on the door and says, wherever you guys are going, I'm coming too. So in, say, neurotransmitter pathways or energy pathways, mitochondria in energy creation, or let's go up to the brain and create some serotonin and some dopamine and some GABA and some glutamate and so noradrenaline, stuff. whatever we want to... You'll have zinc, B2, magnesium... Six always in those pathways, and so therefore, an athlete like mm -hmm. if we go towards the athletes who are burning every day, all the time. most of the time, all the time, what are they most likely to become deficient in? Is it the magnesium, the sodium, the zinc, the B6, sodium, potassium, potassium, magnesium, zinc, zinc, sweat it out, zinc is in every single fluid. So your athletes with, you know, joints are getting, their knees are starting to, especially the ones that are blowing up. If you have a look at their fingernails, if they've got any white spots on their fingernails, they are zinc deficient. <laughs> and their joints, their joints are zinc deficient because zinc is in every single floor. Oh, 
So you, if they're sorry, but if their joints sorry. are are deficient in zinc, does synovial, that synovial yeah. fluid is zinc dependent? Its viscosity is zinc dependent. So zinc's mm-hmm. one of the one of the minerals that like deficiencies are just like rife. Huh. It's hard to get. It's hard to get it in the food chain. Hard to get a zinc deficiency. No, it's hard to get oh, it in hard to the get food. It. Yeah, it's yeah, easy, yeah, yeah, yeah. easy to get a zinc deficiency. You have to and like oysters or that, don't you? Well, you do. <laughs> but I don't know that you can eat enough to have really to have a zinc sufficiency. And in this day and age, where if you like to be fit, you, you know, you, you do like to be fit. So you've got to be training. You've got to be sweating. You know, you, what's that old saying? You know, um, not with me right now, but I'll think of it. No pain, no gain, all that yeah. kind of, you know, train hard, do it hard, do it tough, you know, all that kind of, live it hard. Um, if you, you know, do a lot of sweating, etc. but you can sweat yourself into a deficiency state and one of the biggest ones is zinc. Mm-hmm. And then you start to wonder why, you know, you can't do things the way you used to or, you know, you've got a blown up joint, why? Didn't hurt it? Well, because it was, you can't prove the joint was zinc deficiency, so can, but you can show people they are. So is the only way if it's, say, with zinc supplementing, is that the only way that you can yeah. bring it into your diet? There's no other option if it is so hard to get? It's just it's just not um, high in the food chain. It's in beef, milk and things like that, but only if the cow ate grass that grew in zinc-sufficient <laughs> soil. Got it? Absolutely, because they're... <laughs> planet, Earth, planet Earth, bring it on. Because <laughs> the other stigma that I guess Kendall and I were really keen to ask you about is the stigma around supplement use. Because yeah. there's a lot of, yeah. I think there's a lot of people out there who are like, we should just be able to eat a healthy diet and live in a balanced way and not need supplements. Yeah. But is it, I mean, I know there's many reasons why you would agree to use supplements, but... Part of our greatest challenge in the modern world is that our food isn't grown in these fertile soils like they zinc used rich to grass. be. Zinc rich soil that grew the grass. <laughs> <Yeah. that palate. laughs> What's that saying? The hip joints, the hip joint is connected to the knee joint and all that kind of stuff. Well, everything's connected to something else. So, in modern agriculture, what have we got that's used a lot? Post World War Two. Post World War Two is the marker of modern agriculture, really. Sugar. You know, grain, gluten. You know, you're both having a really good go. And it's fantastic. <laughs> What's used a lot in yeah in the growing of our food? Pesticides. Yeah, and fertilizers. Yep, and herbicides. Yep, all the sides. All the sides. And what does okay. side mean? Mm, something toxic. No, what does homicide mean and what does suicide mean? Oh, remove, kill, get rid of. Kill. Yeah. So a hep- uh, herbicide or insecticide or whatever it is to kill. So we've got these killing agents used on our food, and I completely get why, as you both mm. do. Mass production, how are we going to stop mass eating of it by the insects and things? Well, we kill them off. But those chemicals uh, get into our food. And those chemicals, a lot of them act as what I was still talking about in the beginning, as hormonal, hormonal imbalances or unbalances and um, hormone disruption, it's called, or xenoestrogens. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, our food, which has been cropped densely, more densely than it would in nature, 
grown faster, you know, how fast do they grow oh. egg to chicken, etc. Um, it has to have, it's been altered somehow to get there, to get into the supermarkets, to get onto our plates. And um, the food chain isn't natural mm. anymore. So the idea that you can just eat your food and just be well is a really old idea. Mm. Supplementing isn't for everyone. Not everyone needs it. And you know, plenty of people don't. But if you have, you know, from head to toe, a number of lists, a list of things that you just know are just not right and you can't get them right, then maybe, and you are on a very good diet, because people do write to me with fantastic diets and growing their own food and they still don't know why they're not well, they're probably suffering hormone disruption at any level like insulin, etc. that I talked about. Not Don't, don't think of female and male hormones as you know, the only hormone disruption mm -hmm. that there is because there's plenty of others. Um, and they just can't fix it with food. Then it may be that we've got mineral imbalances and uh, toxicity. So I'll give you an idea. If if we're standing on a, on a level playing field and or, or just put your hands together and make them level and, and teeter and totter on top of them, if one hand starts to drop and you've got deficiencies and the other hand starts to rise and you've got Not excesses, so you might have mercury, lead, arsenic, goodness knows what in your body. If you don't have your hands sitting in the middle at balance level anymore, then that is a disruption to health. You can't fix that with food, which may already have deficiencies in it, and it may already have toxins in it. Mm. The food chain doesn't fix things anymore like that. So with supplements... Are all supplements created equally? No. So what, because you were saying about the relationship between the two, so if I just go, oh, I think I've got a zinc deficiency, or, and I just go grab a tablet, does it do more harm than good if you just get something that's not what you need? Or No, it's really hard to do any harm. It's really hard to do any harm with low amounts of supplements. But the big question, and it's, you know, TV shows about it, they've been on the last few weeks and few months and they'll continue to be on, is can we help? Well, there's a principle in medicine that I live by, always will, and that is that first do no harm. And if you can, you help. Now, whether I'm prescribing a drug or I'm prescribing a nutrient prescription or a health prescription, you know, walk more, smile more, sleep better, have better... You know, social contact, you know, have, have the love to hope that we have to have in our lives. Everyone has to have love to hope, some, something, someone to love, things to do, hope that we'll still have those things, people to love, things that we love, things that we can do. When I'm prescribing that kind of thing, first of all, do no harm. So it's hard to harm people with low-dose supplementing. But if I'm trying to help, then... Uh, mineral, vitamin, nutrient, lifestyle or a prescription for just loving more is a very, very well thought out prescription. Yeah. No different to if I'm putting someone on a beta blocker or a calcium channel blocker or an SSRI or an antibiotic and I've thought, hey, do I need to do this or not? Do they, you know, is this going to help them or not help them? The thought process is no less and no more. Mm -hmm. So, I want to go back to 
nutrition and nutrients in our foods at the moment. If we're talking about, I guess, trying to not get to a point of deficiency and not need to go down that rabbit hole because it is it sounds like a rabbit hole, especially for doers, people who are really busy, maybe quite stressed, modern lifestyles, striving for excellence in athleticism, whatever it is. What is the nutrition approach that you prescribe or hope that people sort of take your advice on um, to, I guess, sustain us in modern lifestyle? Okay, so if we're going to plate up our day, let's plate up our day, not just our dinner, but plate up your day. If you plate up your day with nutrition, you've got to make sure that 50% of your day is plated with vegetables and fruit and that you divide that 50% into 1040. 10% fruit, 40% Mm. vegetables and pick good ones. Organic, preferably. This organic thing is a great idea and Mm -hmm. I'm not going to hammer that because if you can and you do and also you grow it in your own backyard and you know you make your own manure and all that kind of thing that is fantastic but you know that that's not the majority of people it's not realistic so let's talk to the majority of people Mm -hmm. and and I'll include myself in the majority Mm -hmm. I don't have a big veggie garden and I'm not running around trying to buy organic every day because I know that I can survive quite well if I pick well when I'm buying so you know buy with responsibility in your mind you know Where'd the food come from? Who's selling it? How old is it? You know, is it you know in the, the bin because it's expiring tomorrow and I'll just get that? Or is it you know, grass-fed and coming from a northern Tasmanian farm and you know, you know where the food's come from and they mm. fed it well and it was fed on <laughs> grass <laughs> that had zinc in it because the soil did. Um, so just eating with, with mindfulness... And, and being responsible for that, mm. that choice of what you put in your hand or in your fork or on your spoon. Try not to wrap your food all the time. So if you think about sandwiches and wraps and pizza bases and cardboard boxes that people go and buy their food in, plastic containers that they go and buy their food in already made, all that kind of stuff. If you think about food as something that you smell, touch, um, you bite, you smell it, you, you you touch it, you cut it, you cook it, then you eat it. Having a sense of, um, of, of having a relationship with what ends up in your mouth will also help you have a healthy understanding of what you're putting in, mm-hmm. into your mouth. And not, you know, like, like sandwiches and wraps and pizzas are, are just a base of not really good food to put good food on to get it to your mouth. Mm-hmm. Well, what's wrong with a knife and fork and a spoon and your fingers? Well, I like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah. I encourage people to wrap their food less, so less sandwiching, less, you know, wrap every day from, from somewhere for, you know, just why don't you just eat the lettuce and, and eat the tomatoes and eat the cheese if you want to, you know, what's wrong with your fingers? Stick the food in your mouth. Don't don't wrap it to get it to your mouth. Or yeah, and I guess put it on a base to get it to. your I mouth. I think there's probably been this perception that you need the carbohydrates from the bread. Because I'm thinking about my little food pyramid in my brain that we were shown. It's you know mm-hmm. from school age. You mm-hmm. know you need those slices. Okay. Of bread. Well, let's go grains. Okay, yeah. so, so grains next. Yeah. Australian wheat is um, 
highly mass produced and and got a uh, uh, a lot of chemical spraying. And it's one great great way to get extra copper into your body is is um, eating not necessarily wheat but a lot of grains because uh, even nuts you know if you don't buy organic and if you don't soak them and all that kind of stuff you know they have to all be sprayed so they're not eaten by something else before they get through their factories and get to us. So what does copper do? Sorry, excuse my ignorance. So copper is a mineral mm-hmm. that, like any nutrient, is good in the right amount and too much is not good. And it's one of the most common problems I find, especially in women, is a condition called copper dominance. Estrogen goes up in the body and remember, we go back and we were talking mm-hmm. about xenoestrogens, total body estrogenic load, both men and women. Boys and girls, total estrogenic load. And copper is the mineral that goes up with higher estrogen levels. Mm -hmm. And copper gets in the way of other nutrients. So we call it copper blocker. When it's too high. When it's too high. You need copper. You think of a copper wire, you can bend it in your hands. Mm -hmm. So copper's in your bones, it's in your tendons, it's in your bendy, it's in your arterial and venous walls. We don't want hard walls that won't won't take a bit more pressure, so we need a bit of flexibility. We don't, don't want our tendons not to be able to move. I need mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, move my fingers, move my tendons. They've all got copper in them for some flexibility, but you increase copper beyond its normal body threshold, and then we start to run into problems, and that's mm-hmm. a common problem, I find. You see, in medicine, going back, the only mineral that you really test in blood is what? Iron. Iron. And there's over 30-something minerals that we need in our bodies. We get a very small look at what's going on. What's the fixation on iron? Is there a reason? I think, it, no, that I think it's the only one we because it's the only one we test, so it's the only one you get told about. Sorry, that was that was my yeah. fault. We Wait, were talking go. about um, we're up to grains, so we've done half a plate of veggies. Yes, we're doing our plates. Yep. yep. So then, when it comes to grains and wheat or we were talking about bases and wrapping your food and trying not to do that, just eat food. Uh, when it comes to grains, it's better that you, you try to get whole grains. So uh, soak your grains, cook your grains yourself, but try and eat them as, as a whole food. And not too much of them, you know, 10% of your diet. 10%? Wow, that's quite... Well, that would... Well, I'm speechless because <laughs> it, it, it's so different to that food pyramid that we grew up thinking about, isn't it? Am I correct? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's all the base. Help me out here, Sally. <laughs> Help me, I feel like the, I'm drowning the, in deep water. The, the, okay, this, the food pyramid that we're, we're still working on is being highly challenged mm-hmm. and I think... Mm-hmm. I think everybody knows that. I don't know mm-hmm. too many people who don't and... You know, there's some some a lot of um, activity going on about that now, and there's um, political activity, commercial television activity, non-commercial that um, television activity, a lot of blogging, a lot of uh, websiting, a lot of people that you can follow uh, right across this globe. People talking about this and. Basically, if you can get your food from as close to nature as you can, mm. which a piece of white bread is so far away from nature, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is a pizza base, etc. If you can get it as close to nature, and that whole grains and 
nature, which is why I'm speaking about whole grains. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can do that, you're going to have a better chance at having your wellness in, in a place you want it to be, such as an optimal place, mm-hmm. including um, uh, protein. Protein is 25 to 30% of a diet. But that's just, this is just a standard this wellness yeah. diet. This yeah. isn't if we're trying to, you know... Optimise. You know, be yeah. our, our last time on the treadmill mm-hmm. you know, that we ran last night. <laughs> Whoa, we're back again tonight, so we can do better. You know, it's, you've, it's just a standard plate for your day. You try to load it in these ways, and protein mm. should be, you know, much more thought about than it is. It's not, it's not pushed enough. You know, we have carbohydrates in the morning, carbohydrates at lunch, carbohydrate for our snack, carbohydrate for our snack, carbohydrate for our drink. And finally, we get to dinner time, we might be thinking about some protein. Why do you think, because you can hear a lot recently about we're having too much protein and there seems to be that movement of, oh no, we need to reduce our protein, you get have more carbs, don't have carbs, eat eggs, don't eat eggs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How do you wade through that and then okay, get well... a plate that works for you? So if you are on, well, you're following a paleo or a plant-based diet or gluten-free, dairy-free, how do you figure out what your plate looks like. Okay, so first of all, they're naysayers and yaysayers. <laughs> okay? So there are naysayers for vegetarianism and veganism and naysayers for paleo, etc. So what I try and teach people to think of is not a brand of of a way of eating, but a way of wellness. And people work out their own way of eating for wellness you know some people will not eat you know a t-bone steak and i don't advocate that they do by the way but they 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 just can't and they probably won't eat size of an iphone piece of steak in a fortnight and they don't have to they'll much prefer to get their proteins from fish and chicken and eggs and you know and lots of omelets stacked with with dairy if they want to and vegetables and and eat, you know, baked beans, things like that, and munch their way through nuts every day, and they feel great. They, they don't feel well in the gut or wherever if they're loaded with, with a certain kind of meat or something like that. There, there are people who just simply can't do without it. Like, they just, mm, I can't do without my steak. Pick on steak. So people work their way to their wellness diet, given the guideline that you should be eating a lot more vegetable than we were previously told. You know, we used to have this plate divided in four. Now it's, you know, divided into half and fill it half with as many good vegetables as you can and 25% protein. And then you add in, you know, we were never ever told we should be eating um, herbs and spices. We should be, Mm -hmm. you know. Not only are they tasty, but they have intestinal value. They help intestinal secretions right down in the small intestine. Mm. Um, So, yeah, we've probably been brought up on too many grains and too many dairy products. Um, I'm not a nay or a yay dairy. People work out if they can have it or not. But is there, Sally, an issue where things like caffeine... Yeah. which can mask energy levels and almost mask a sense of well-being. Like you can wake up in the morning feeling a bit lethargic, have your morning cup of coffee and then suddenly find yourself zing going, I feel great. Can that mask how you recognise what works for you and what doesn't work for you in nutrition? 
I think I'm a sucker for that. I'm just going to so put it out there. So why honey? Because um, people who who wake up and feel better after a coffee, um, just remember caffeine, you know, it's a plant. It's actually, you know, really considered as a herb mostly, you know. It's, okay. So it's not it's not a nasty <laughs> herb drinker. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> yeah. It's, not, it's not a nasty. Yeah, okay. It's just, it's been um, abused and it's also mass produced so you know we can have bleached caffeine and all that kind of stuff we don't need the chemicals that are in it but good natural coffee beans and a nice coffee in the morning is you know shouldn't shouldn't be something that you have to be a naysayer to mm -hmm. you can have that kind of thing but only because you like to do it in the morning if it's a kickstarter and I'm not going to be any good I'm not going to speak to you I'm not going to answer my phone calls I'm not going to do anything to you go and get me a cup of coffee <laughs> Then you have to recognise that coffee is an issue. You are there's something something out of balance. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I'm curious. <laughs> sorry, this is a a curious question for me. I'm I'm really interested in where the viewpoints sit nowadays on soy. Like you mm. you go out and you and you go out for your coffee and you can choose between mm -hmm. almond lattes and normal lattes and skinny lattes and soy. Soy is a big mm -hmm. one, but it's been seen as a chemical yeah, um, balancer, disbalancer. Well, it's, it's, soy has been labelled a hormone disruptor. Okay, that was what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah I know thanks. you were. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hormone disruptor like BPA, you know, plastics, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's been proven to be a hormone disruptor if it's been commercially made soy. Okay. So if you if we're going to say someone someone has the habit of having three lattes a day, and there are people out there doing this, and but it's okay because I'm having three soy lattes. Well, potentially that soy milk is not organic. hasn't been has been changed somehow. Um, has been sitting in plastic or something, and uh, isn't really a great product as far as a natural organic soy product, then maybe that soy is going to have some hormone disrupting value. Like a soy milk, like ones we buy in the supermarket, they say like a vita soy that's organic. Um, is that, that's been disrupted though from um, its natural state to yeah. have that much of it. Is that well, correct? I'll give you a better example. Say one that I prefer to use is if we're buying soy product, soy product for cooking, Mm -hmm. and you try and read your packaging and organic, non-chemicalised soy product, that's going to be okay for you. And if you're just buying a very average one okay. that you know, says it's got chemicals, it's got numbers written on the packet, etc., it's been changed somehow, then you know, you're taking in the soy product changed from, you know, a bit like taking in, say, a highly sugared, low-fat cow product instead of a natural cow product straight out of the cow mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it's been changed somehow it's not going to be as good as for you as the natural product is mm -hmm. but it has been soy products have been um given a fair bashing like caffeine has mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know a lot of things do that probably don't deserve as much as if you can again be a a mindful thinker of the product that you're choosing to have mm. same with the caffeine try and get really good organic beans and put them through a caffeine 
what is what is they call coffee making machine <laughs> <laughs> than having you know your instant cheapest coffee that you can find. It's going to be changed from its original plant based source. Are all these switches between you know that it's good, it's bad, it's good, it's bad as a result of new research coming out, or is it just more of a marketing and someone latches on to an older study and it brings it back and everyone goes, oh, there's a study saying eggs are bad, and then is there newer research that says they're good again, or is how does it work? Because it just seems to flip so much. Mm-hmm. So there's always research, and unfortunately there's so much research is not given to health professionals nor the public. So you can, that's why you always get, you know, someone knocking something and then it takes so long for someone to come out and say, oh, no, that's okay. Basically, over the years, there's been research into, you know, should we do this and should we do that, brought about by the health dollar and the cost of illness now because of diabetes like we spoke about, mental health, which we've spoken about, you know, so many children with disordered chemistry, which you can label any which way you want to, is what they call it, the spectrum, mm-hmm. spectrum disorders. Um, and the cost of all of that is driving governments into looking into, you know, what is it? And so you'll get told, you know, it's it was in the 50s that we were told it was, it was um, fat, so we had to have everything low fat. So then it was... Unfortunately, to flavour it highly sugared in one way or another. Oh, now we've learned from that mistake 50 <laughs> years later. And so, no, 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 now it's low sugar, low sugar and bring in healthy fats. So really the world is just spinning round mm. back to what was normal. What did we eat before we changed it? Yeah, the advice that um, I've had quite frequently is eat what your grandmother would recognise. And yeah. if she wouldn't recognise it, don't go near it. And... You know, that's pretty much what you're saying, you know, yeah. eat whole grain, eat things yeah. that you recognise that are as close to the natural form as possible. Yeah. And if dairy works for you or doesn't, or meat works mm-hmm. for you or doesn't, or you're just saying find what works for you, but mm-hmm. given in mind these basic proportions. I'll tell you something that is that we don't think of very much, and that is why are we eating something that we're eating? So, for, so take dairy, it's, it's just so plentiful, mm. and it's an industry. Mm-hmm. And it's a well-advertised uh, industry. You know, there are posters around that have a glass of milk and an equal sign equals calcium and another equal sign equals bone. And so visually you think that glass of milk equals bone or mm. bone's bone and milk's milk. and They're different. <laughs> <laughs> they're very different. But, you know, there are industries driving, you know, very... Yeah, very mentally deep in our minds that we have to have these things. Very but if so. I just tell you about casein, which is a which is a protein, and um, if you were just happened to be a cow and you were giving birth to a calf, how big is that baby? It's pretty big. Pretty big. Yeah. So the milk that you are now going to make to feed your baby has big proteins in it, big molecules in it. It's going to grow that big baby into a very big animal. Okay, we often find, and it's very unrecognised, that we give those big 
same big proteins to our babies. Mm. They're little. They're tiny in comparison. And those big proteins can have a bit of a a bit of an attack, if you like, as a protein molecule on that baby gut that that's not ready for molecules that big. And that's where we have this idea of milk sensitivity that mm. is unrecognised. Mm -hmm. But so often you can help people by just teaching them, well, maybe that molecule is just too big for your baby's gut at the moment. Am I reading between lines, Sally, and taking us right back to the earlier conversation we had with your children without going to mm. personal levels? Mm. But it has. I, I want to go back and understand what were the changes that you made for your family when your daughters were 10 Okay, eight, yeah, so... Eight? Yep, so they were older, so the girls were... Uh, I don't remember now, but... 10 and 14, something mm -hmm, like that, and mm -hmm. I started to learn... Well, they were both menstruating young women and getting on with their lives, and I started to learn what has happened since then is that through me learning and still being able to help them in their formative years, so as they were, you know, teenagering and... Teenaging isn't very easy on anyone, <laughs> let alone me, the mum, but not easy on anyone. And um, not easy on them. It's not easy to be a teenager. No. So, you know, that 10 to 20 decade that we talked about before and all the stuff mm -hmm. that goes on. So, but what I was able to do was to help them create wellness that they didn't have. You know, they, they weren't, weren't getting as many colds, weren't getting as sick. I totally was able to rid my daughter of asthma. I was able to help her mental health. Um, they were able to to uh, become mindful eaters, as was I, as as did I. I didn't really know much, you know, right up until then, and that has translated into two lovely young women who are twenty one and twenty four, who are just so on the the health cycle, you know. One's a yoga teacher, a Pilates teacher. Mm. One has chosen veganism, vegetarianism. I'm not either. But, you know, go for it, girls, if that's what's going to make you feel well. Their mental health is fantastic. Their skin is great. Their, their, their capacity to, to do all those love-do-hope things that we all need is great. And to just see them flourish through my capacity to learn and mm. for them to have a, a loving understanding of their bodies and the planet that they're on and their planet people because of it, you know, planet welfare and food welfare and uh, national welfare, world welfare, you, you start to take an interest in wellness and it has expanding capacity beyond yourself. Mm. And that's what it's done for myself and my family, my, my children. How did it go when you first initiated these changes with a 10 and a 14-year-old in that 10 to 20 decade mm. and then you're changing what they're used to? Did they kind of resist it? the beginning or no, were they fully no, on board from fully the start? Fully on board, just, you know, well, I, I mean, I just started giving them vitamin D and zinc and, you know, if I did something that could make them feel better and they're, they're both travellers, so they've both had, you know, travellers' diarrhoea and all the infections that you get and things like that and trying to sort out their health for them each time they need me to, it's, no, it's giving them, giving them an amazing understanding of the line between being unwell being sick and actually having health mm. and just the, the very thought of not having it. You, you have to work at it. Health isn't given to us these days, definitely not. You, it's something you work at. With all those um, facilities available to you, including the hand-to-mouth 
you know, what you choose to put in, in you um, and what you choose to do for you. They embrace it. Sally, you are an incredibly energetic, busy, vibrant person. You know, we're here and it's quarter to six at night and you've Is probably it? been here since <laughs> seven, eight o'clock this morning. I'm only guessing. Yeah. How do you juggle that balance? You know, being a mum, being a health practitioner, it's a hugely busy life. And how much you're saying you also give to your patients, I think, is over and above what is probably deemed normal in your profession at the moment, I'm guessing. Um, but, how, you know, how do you do it? The thing that we started with is passion. Mm -hmm. I wake up every day and it's... Quick, get there. You know, get into your office. Like, you know, if I'm not here... By 10, 10 past 7 or half past 7, like I'm agitated because I've got to get on with the day so I can get on before my first patient at 8 o'clock. And if I happen to still be here now, that's okay because, you know, I need to finish the day so I can wake up tomorrow morning with the same thoughts on my <laughs> mind about, you know, what have I got to do today. Um, no, it's just driven by passion. You, you drive yourself. Look what you've driven yourself with passion, you know, and the people that uh, are learning from you and listening to you. No, they they can't. They wouldn't be doing anything if they weren't passionate. Mm -hmm. So, love do hope. Love what I do. Hope I can do it again. Hope. <laughs> <laughs> love. Uh, you know, I get it from my career, but I get it from life anyway. Mm. We have a question we've been asking all of our podcast guests, and we've had some just very interesting and amazing answers. So I'm going to ask you, what is your greatest fear? Well, my greatest fear always has been, still is, that I would, would not have my children well and that they wouldn't grow up to be well and that they would get sick because I hadn't done enough to keep them well. And that's from, from in utero to, to forever. And having my, I was driven into this way of learning because remember, you know, I had a daughter who was sick a lot, in hospital a lot, I had my own issues and I feared that we, we just weren't, you know, that they weren't going to be well and I, you know, I felt like that was a failing on my behalf that I brought them here at least, at least give them wellness, you know, at least and what they do in their lives is up to them but at least give them wellness and that was that really drove me into a, a terrible place that, that wasn't going to be the case. Mm -hmm. And my greatest passion comes from trying to have that happen to the next generations. Remember I said I was an oven that baked two cakes and they didn't necessarily come out of me overly well. And I wasn't necessarily, as a pregnant woman, overly well. I know I wasn't. You know, I, I, I'd done too much hard training, I'd become too deficient in things, but I didn't know about that. There wasn't even a word in my mind, deficiency, nor toxicity, excess. None of those things existed. So having become a mother, I never actually realised that what it would do to me and the fear that you can't be enough or do enough for your children is awful. Mm. And that's 
what drove me. Now I don't really have that fear because I've done that, but my passion is to keep having that happen in life. I can never have it happen enough. So my greatest passion now is seeing people in your age group and giving them an opportunity to be a great oven and have great cakes <laughs> coming out when they're ready. I'm so serious about that. <laughs> Sounds funny, but it's my no, greatest it passion. And I love nothing more than to, to help people achieve that and make sure if I don't see the babies that I get photographs sent to me, etc. Because <laughs> it's, it's so fulfilling to be able to help people have wellness from the start of the episode to have healthy babies. Yeah, because I've written a few blog articles that actually went quite crazy. Um, one of the main ones I wrote recently, Sally, was about femininity mm. <laughs> because I said in my article um, that you were the person who actually put me on that pathway. Mm. I mean, the first time I came to see you and I... I just was a bit, you know, out of balance with hormones and didn't really think too much of it. I was a bit ignorant, to be honest, about the importance of it. Walked in the door and I think you just looked me up and down and went, I think you could embrace your femininity. And then I wrote about what that journey meant to me in this blog. But I get how important understanding the impact that our choices and particularly nutritional choices make on our hormones, but... What are the other things that it will impact our hormonal choices? Because I want our listeners to walk away and have the opportunity to start on a pathway to well-being if they're not already on that pathway. If you for, to have a pathway of improved feeling and understanding of your own well-being, you have to be mindful of all facets of your life, and that's if you're a man or a woman, what your what your purpose is, so is what you what you want for your love, do hope. Uh, how you want to manage yourself so that you have that fulfilment. How you want to uh, make contact with your the people in your life and the planet that you're on. To have that feeling of fulfilment, and and you have to have those three things. You have to have love, do hope, and you know if you if you don't look after yourself nutritionally then I don't think you have kept those three things in your sight. You haven't but what you're also saying is that we need to have self-compassion for ourselves and give ourselves the time and breathing space to find our love do hope mm. and then nutrition is another part it's a part of it, but it's not mm. the be all and end all. No, it's I not the I be all and end all of it. I probably ask that question because I think too often the the band aid of nutrition is popped on those wounds, like yeah, or, no. you know, because it, it's an easy thing. I think in some mm. ways for us to focus on and fixate on, like exercise can be as mm. well. So I guess that other side of yeah, self compassion is. Well, for I'll give exercise an example. You can exercise a lot and feel really good and get the endorphins and the adrenaline and, and you know, get addicted to it and think, oh, geez, I'm feeling really good. But if you slam down a really bad diet, you know, full of pizzas and, you know, six lattes and two Cokes and, you know, shooting down some energy drinks because, you know, I've got to go training, I've got to go training. You cannot exercise your way out of a bad diet. It will get you. It will get you somewhere. It will... 
affect you somewhere, whether it's your mind or your muscles or your skin or your gut or somewhere in your body chemistry or your body function, somewhere it will get you. You cannot exercise your way out of a bad diet. So mindfulness for looking after your body is your food, is your drink, is your smile, is your laughter, is your social con connection, is, you know, who you wake up and speak to, you know, who you, you know, see each day or who you don't see each day is quite important sometimes, you know, where you go, where you don't go is important, what you do, what you don't do is important, what you eat, what you don't eat is important, you know, it's, it's the whole thing and how you feel, you know, I often write on my hand, this is a little thing I do, when I'm feeling, and I'm not, you know, I'm not superhuman here, <laughs> when, when I'm feeling, oh, wow, I can get up from this desk and walk out my door and call my next patient in, and if I'm feeling low myself, as I walk back in my door, they can't see me, but I just hold my hand, and with my right hand in the palm of my left hand, I just write, do it with love. Mm. No one saw me. Nothing came out of my mouth, but it's... And I can sit there and say, Hi, how are you going? <laughs> now, what's happening? I've read all your results now. What's been going on? Are you feeling any better? Blah, blah, blah. And I can just go like that. Or I can choose to just go, Hi. Now, what's been happening? Are you feeling any better? You know, but if you lift something and that, that word, do it with love, like, whoosh, mm -hmm. you because you just treated yourself better. You allowed yourself to feel better and you can, you know, make better choices just in the, in, in the voice that you use. Really little things, but that's mindfulness about being in contact with yourself. Getting in contact with yourself is really important. And that, at the, at the end of the day, is the essence of self-compassion. Yeah. I really believe that, mm. truly. Even if you don't know, that's what it is. A lot of people don't know that's what it is. No. I don't necessarily have that thought. I'm like, no. I like hearing you say that, but I don't necessarily have that thought. But having had this conversation, I'll probably use that as a sentence about how compassionate are you to, you, to yourself when I'm talking to people now, just because we've had this conversation, yeah. without me actually knowing that that's another word I can use in conversation. I tell them to do it with yeah. love. <laughs> Write it on your hand. <laughs> pretend. You know. No one's going to know. You just you know. And I want to. I want to wrap it up, Sally, yep. because I'm aware Sorry. that I'm, no, I want to. I want to send you home mm. so that you can do it with love and be yes. in your own family. But I just want to, I guess, throw it out there and see what where you bounce off me on this one. But I don't believe that this is like a, we walk out the door, Kendall and I are going to walk out the door now and be instantly changed and instantly on a different path towards well-being. Like I believe that any change, particularly the change towards being more compassionate and doing it with love and finding our do hope and I'm going to get that, <laughs> hope, do love, <laughs> love, do hope. <laughs> um, but, I, but I think it takes time. It does. And... It, it can sometimes take taking a step back and unpacking a few things to sort of repack your life back into the shape that you want it to be. Can I bounce off you on that yeah, one? Yeah, so exactly the same way. If someone walks out of a conversation um, with you or just having been into your business and got really inspired and seen some great gear and thinking, oh, I'm going to buy this and look at me, <laughs> they're not going to j jump on that treadmill and do a 
uh, a hit run at, you know, 45 seconds at level 14, 15, 15 seconds off and go, whoa, I'm fit, you know, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen with their food when they've had a conversation with me or a nutritionist and thought, well, you know, I need to make these changes. It's just not going to happen. But you seed a thought and from that thought their changes grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I reckon we might wrap that up. amazing. <laughs> Kendall's sitting here looking like she, <laughs> she needs to take some notes maybe. Have we actually finished? Yeah. Okay. That's unbelievable. Mm, thank, thank you. Thank you. That's okay.